this series called Can I Contend? Let's dive right in. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. This is how you know if God's spirit is in something. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, um, that is the spirit. God's spirit is in that. Okay, but verse 3 says, but every spirit, every spirit, um, notice he's not saying this is how you know whether people are in God. Or this is how you know whether God's spirit is with a person or desires to be with a person. He says every spirit, okay, that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. That spirit is of the Antichrist. It's not the Antichrist, but it's the spirit of the Antichrist. By the way, John said 2,000 years ago, which you heard was coming. So I won't go too far into this, but, but you can't be surprised. Like, you don't get to be angry. You, you, you don't get to be taken off guard. I can't believe we're going in this direction. No, no, no. He already said. Like, it's going to get way worse before it's redeemed completely. Okay? And you shouldn't be shocked by it. You shouldn't be surprised. In fact, sometimes you might even get a little bit excited about it. Instead of being annoyed, how about having a sense of urgency for the sake of evangelism and noticing, man, our world is going in the wrong direction. Well, what a great opportunity for the church. We are surrounded by people that no longer just accept Jesus as the cultural norm. How about we let God use us to reveal the power of God to somebody else so that they can't deny who he is without rebelling against him? Not causing more chaos or more confusion because we claim to be in Christ, but we live just like them and respond just like them. We're just as frustrated, unfulfilled, irritated, angry, and venting on social media as they are. Well, why would they want to come be with us? They could be miserable without coming to church. <laughs> he says that spirit is the Antichrist. You heard it was coming. You can't be surprised. And now it's already in the world. If you read Revelation 1 through 4, you see a picture of seven churches. Seven churches that represent types of churches that still exist today. But after Revelation chapter 4, you never hear about the church again. Revelation 5 and 6, you begin to see what most scholars would refer to as the great tribulation. In the middle of this seven years of tribulation, there is a great tribulation. And the first thing that happens to usher in, if you will, that great tribulation, three and a half years of the earth being baptized by fire, okay, is these horses. And we're trying to answer the question whether we can contend or not. You remember John said, it's the spirit. Anything that doesn't claim that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is the spirit of the Antichrist. And so these spirits, I believe these spirits are alive and well and operating, not just in America, but all around the world today. That first spirit, that white horse, it was a spirit of deception and a spirit of disruption. Like in an instant, your social norm was disrupted. 
In an instant, your flow of society was disrupted. In an instant, your comfort in this world and all the things that it has to offer was disrupted. In an instant, it just seems like over like in no time whatsoever, we are now deceived to believe that we can choose our gender. Now listen, I'm not angry at people that are that confused. I actually believe I'm called to win them. And I can't win people that I'm beating with the Bible. I can't win people I hate. That's not how you win people. But I am concerned, and I can speak to the concern. It's just a matter of how and when I speak to the concern. We are living in a day of deception where a national education director thinks it's okay for a young boy to choose to compete against young girls just because they feel more like a woman than a man. And to me, to me, that's a hill worth dying on. But listen, if you die on every other hill along the way, then when you actually try to speak to something significant, nobody's going to listen to you because you've been running your mouth too much about things that don't matter. This spirit is alive and well. We know the truth. We have the truth. We don't have to defend the truth. We just have to present the truth. The red horse, I got to keep going. I get stuck right there. The red horse is the horse of fear and violence. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back today to how you can contend with this fear and how you can contend with this violence, this horse of bloodshed and, and civil disorder. Look, I believe that, that the last 12 months was just a glimpse of the civil disorder that will arise. Specifically, as we get closer and closer to the book of Revelation. Do you think we're in it? No, I don't. I don't personally. Do I think we're on the way? Yep. <laughs> I think we're real close. Like closer than we've ever been. Not just because of a timeline, but because of the prophecies that have already been fulfilled. And there is nothing left that heaven is waiting on except for the church to wake up and win people. Because God said, it is my will that none should perish, but all would come to repentance. And Jesus isn't coming back until the whole world has heard the gospel. So if you really want to shout something on social media, start preaching the gospel harder than you are your self-protection and preferences. And let the world know that Jesus came and he's coming back. And then we may actually make a difference in the fear and the violence that is going on. Did you know that the last 10 years has been the most fatal years in the history of humanity? There have been more murders, more deaths, more fatalities, more exceptions of the devaluing of life from the womb to the tomb than has ever been before. This spirit is alive and well. Do I think with, that we're facing the red horse? Not yet. But do I believe that we're facing the spirit that's coming on that horse? Absolutely. The next horse was the black horse. It was the horse of chaos in commerce. It was the horse that allows the rich to get richer and everybody else to continue to fall. It protects only the highest in society. It makes everything else that was formerly affordable, unaffordable. It takes you a, day, a day's wager just to have a piece of bread was essentially what this horse is going to bring. Hyperinflation. A breakdown in society and economics worse than anything that the world has ever seen, greater than the stock market crash of 2008, greater than the Great Depression, and certainly greater than anything that the economy suffered because of closures during COVID-19. This horse is going to bring it, and it's going to be tough. The final horse 
is the pale horse. This is actually the horse that the Antichrist will be riding on. This is the horse of disease and death. Now, i got to be careful here because we are in a time where we're seeing hundreds of thousands of people pass away and even millions of people pass away across the globe because of the complications due to just one virus, not to even mention all the other viruses and all the other things that are causing people to lose life on this earth or pass from this life into next. By the way, that's why we should have more value, value in what's coming than where we are, than we've ever had before. Because we're not promised tomorrow. By the way, we never have been. Just because you were taken today for granted doesn't mean that you're promised tomorrow. This horse is coming with disease and death. I'm not talking about hundreds and thousands of people. I'm not talking about 300 million people that died from the Spanish flu. I'm talking right now, if this horse came today, 25% of the world's population, 25%, that's two and a half billion people gone with one that's coming. Now listen, I'm not telling you this to scare you. I'm telling you this to prepare you. Because last time I checked, the words of Jesus when he said, greater is he, (laughs) that is in you I have overcome death hell and the grave fear not I have overcome the world and his apostles said that we know for a fact that the one that abides in us is greater than any other thing that is around us so we should not be afraid but we should be prepared what does that look like well that looks like contending contending can I contend I feel the Lord asking the church right now and me right now the same question that he asked Jeremiah after Jeremiah got finished complaining. Living in a way worse society. You got to remember the society that Jeremiah was living in, they were eating one another's children. So, man, it's as bad as it's ever been. Have you read the Bible? Open up a history book and go read about what the world looked like outside of Christianity and or before Christianity. I don't even have time to go into all those details there. But can I, can I contend? God asked Jeremiah the same thing I believe he's asking us. If you have run with the footman, if, if you got people problems, temporary problems, earthly problems, if natural issues are causing you to be weary, then how in heaven are you going to run with what's on the way? How are you going to contend with the spirit if you can't even handle the person? And I believe that this is a question that the church needs to be asking right now, that we need to be asking right now. See, as much as Jesus wants to remove things from our lives, I believe that he wants to replace those things. Because anybody can just be good. Like, the military can teach you to be more obedient. They don't even need Jesus to do it. Like, you don't need Jesus to make you do something. Like, a good stick can make somebody do something. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But you do need Jesus to remove sin. You need Jesus to forgive sin. And by the way, Jesus is the only one that can do it because he's the only one that paid for it. Nobody else can forgive your sin. And we do need the Holy Spirit to replace all the things that we let him remove. So as much as, hey, this is what you shouldn't do. This is what you don't do. This is what you need to be aware of. This is what you need to be prepared for. Okay, prepared with what? Can I contend? I don't know. What can I contend with? Not just against, 
but with. And so last week, number one, and we're going to go over nine of these today. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that. I can't preach that fast. We'd be here till two. And we got next steps after third service, and I'm going, okay? And you should come too if you've never been. I'm just saying, okay? Shameless plug right there. Number one, we did this last week. I won't spend too much time on it. I believe we need to contend with covering. I believe we need to contend with covering. What does that mean? It means that you don't get to contend alone. Paul said this in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. Well, what is the Lord's work? Hey, remember, just because it doesn't look like they're not doing God's will doesn't mean that God will not use them to teach you a lesson. My boss isn't living for Jesus. He ain't doing the Lord's work. No, but God puts you under him on purpose. And until you learn the lesson that you're supposed to learn, you can run to as many jobs as you want to in as many different places as you want to. The problem is you wake up you every day and you can't get away from yourself. The authority of the leaders that God allowed in your life, they work hard among you. It's hard to be a leader. It's really hard to be a leader outside of Christ. They work hard among you. Watch, honor, honor. They work hard among you, next verse, and give you spiritual, there it is, spiritual guidance. Watch him. He says, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of your work, because of their work. Um, I, I told you this last week, but guys, look, I don't, I don't contend alone. I contend with a covering. I, I sat under, I don't have my wallet with me. It, it's locked up somewhere. It doesn't have anything in it, so don't try to go find it. But um, uh, I sat, I, in my wallet, I have my ordination card. Um, I got it right before Pastor Weston got his because I'm better than him. And so I got my ordination card, and on the back of my ordination card, it was on my certified card and, and my license card as well, but it says emerge.org or emerge.com. Emerge Ministries has been made available for every credentialed minister in the Assemblies of God. We can call a toll-free number. We can call an 800 number. This is a counseling service that we can confide in. I'd sat under, just a couple of years ago, Dr. Don Leachy, who is the, the lead counselor for Emerge Counseling Ministries, and he opened up his Bible, and in the back of his Bible, where I have some blank pages, he had several pages, and on those pages, instead of being blank, it was filled, I mean full, up one side, down the other, on front and back, and then he had several pages full of former church leaders and ministers who had had moral failure and are no longer in the ministry. What did I drop? I can't leave that there. It'd be distracting to the people in the front row. Full of people who had had moral failure, financial or physical immorality, whatever. Something happened, and they 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 fell from their influence okay i heard that day that day that man said if you don't have somebody with you every sunday you're asking to have moral failure you're asking to have your family sitting on the front row while you resign from your church because you did something that you shouldn't have done because you were isolated, you exiled yourself, and you tried to do this alone without the covering and contending with accountability. 
Hey, some of you put me on a platform that I don't deserve. I'm telling you, if I try to do this thing in isolation without accountability, if I try to do this thing in, in exile without honesty, I will fail. I will fall. I have a covering. His name is the Holy Spirit. That's my first and foremost. And I don't say that, I don't say that as a cliche. I am still literally learning to start the things that the Holy Spirit tells me to start and to stop the things that the Holy Spirit tells me to stop and to stay away from the things that the Holy Spirit tells me to stay away from. And the more that you learn to live by what he wants, the less you'll want to live by what you want. My second covering is about five foot two. And she don't look like a whole lot, but you ain't seen her German. I mean, angry. She's my greatest accountability. Listen to me. Every week, sometimes multiple times a week, she will ask me the tough questions that you should be asking one another, by the way, that I believe mothers should be asking sons, that, that guardians should be asking children. That friends should be asking friends and spouses should be asking spouses. She will ask me, have you seen anything this week that you are not supposed to see? Have you looked at anything you are not supposed to look at? And then she'll say this, do you have anything to tell me? (laughs) Do you know how many times throughout the week I look away from something I might have formerly looked at? Do you know how many times a week I decide because I know I'm going to have to answer that question in accountability? I decide to follow the Spirit instead of following my flesh because I'm not contending alone. I got somebody to answer to. Hey, I need to contend with covering. Elders and board members, they look at every dime we spend once a month. I'm not spending your money on what I want. I'm spending your money on what we all determine to be God's will. You isolate yourself, the enemy picks you off one by one. And it's not everybody else's fault that you're isolating yourself. Contend with the covering. This is number two. These are the notes that you don't have. Number two, contend with care. Contend with care. We approach every issue with concern for others. That's, that's biblical Christianity, that we care more about others than we do ourselves. And that's tough in this society because they're a bunch of self-promoting, self-protecting propaganda preferences and agendas out there that I don't even dislike. I hate. But I don't hate the person. I hate the platform. And we have to separate the two. This is helpful for your marriage. This is helpful for your friendships. This is helpful for that family member that you ain't talked to in years because you don't know how to get along with anybody that's not like you or doesn't like you. Seek to understand, not to be understood. Man, if we could just fix that one principle in marriage, then we would fix the statistics of 70% of our marriages ending in divorce. Seek to understand, not to be understood. Hey, Parenting 101, you want your children to listen to you? You want your children to care about what you have to say? Then look like you care about what they have to say. 
Seek to understand. I don't want to know what you did. I already know that. I want to know why. I want to know what it is about my leadership or my influence that would cause you to think that that was okay. Because if I can fix something, I want to fix it. If I can heal something, I want to heal it. I care more about you and your soul than I do my opinion and my offense. Contend with care. Guys, this is ministry. This is ministry. I'm going to tell you a story, show you a video. Um, actually, hold on, let me read the scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. That's important that I give you the word, right? Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Now listen, before you start pointing the, the finger at people that don't work every day as hard as you do, why don't we just assume that the Bible is not just talking about earthly things? Let's go ahead and, and warn those who are lazy spiritually. Now, you got a great work ethic, but every time a preacher mentions money, you ready to leave. <laughs> you, you, you got a great 40-hour week, but every time the pastor or the church or the administration calls you and asks you to serve somewhere else you're not already serving, you're like, well, I don't do enough for that church. I don't give enough for that church. I ain't been there enough. Why are they always calling me? What if, what if the Bible is talking about spiritual things that we're lazy in? What if... I'm supposed to warn you about how little time you spent with Jesus last week. What if I'm supposed to warn you about how little you gave in 2020? Now look, we're a giving church. We're a generous church. But what if I'm supposed to warn you about how little you served in 2020? What if I'm supposed to warn you about the things that you're not working on while you look around and are really good at pointing out what everybody else needs to work on. Come on, I'm just saying, maybe, maybe Paul is talking about a different kind of work ethic. Encourage those who are timid, like those who are standoffish, those who don't feel like they have a place to belong. Our goal is to encourage them, not treat them just like the world that they're trying to get away from. Take tender care of those who are weak. I'm going to show you a video. In this video is a man named Kevin Schwartz. He's 49 years old, and Kevin Schwartz is diagnosed with a disease. Um, whether you agree or not, and, and I have my own feelings about taking medicine for feelings and stuff, but um, I, this disease is referred to as agoraphobia. Some of you may have heard of this before. This is a disease, hear me, clinical disease that is a fear of having a panic attack. It's the fear of a fear. This is how deep the enemy is willing to go right now. He's not even, he's not even constricting us with fear anymore. He's constricting us with the fear of fear. And it can get so bad that you cannot leave your home. The more you submit to this fear, the more you surrender to this fear. 
One of the pastors that I follow, I have, I have no issue confessing out loud. I follow a lot of pastors. I'm actually better at listening to sermons and taking notes than I am reading a book. And they usually give you the best stuff in the sermons and all the leftovers in the book. So I'll go listen to their message and their series and, and I'll study and I'll take multiple pastors that I follow. Um, and I don't recommend just following anybody if you need a list of some of those people because there's a bunch of YouTube yahoos out there and you got to be careful but I do follow Pastor Chris Hodges. He is actually the author of some of our freedom curriculum, which starts today. I'm just saying, you signed up. You signed up. Good for you. You signed up. Now you got to show up because anybody can take a reservation. And so anyways, go to your small groups. It's really cool that you signed up for them, but you got to go to them for them. It's like, I signed up for a small group. That's awesome. I haven't been one time this semester, but I really mean to. Just go ahead and prioritize that. Show up. Pastor Chris Hodges, Pastor Chris Hodges, he's actually working on a book right now on depression. And in his research, he has discovered that if you want to overcome depression, one of the greatest ways to overcome depression is to do something for somebody else. What a novel idea that secular society has discovered that we were actually created not to be self-serving, but to serve. It seems like I've heard that somewhere else sometime before. Maybe this illegitimate son from Nazareth at one point with these disciples said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I was just a crazy brainstorm that psychology has just discovered that is actually more beneficial for you to do something for somebody else. Watch this video really quick. Watch how Kevin Schwartz overcame his fear. Let me tell you about the first time I blacked out. And that's all I remember. I don't always cry myself to sleep. I have insomnia. <laughs> Today, I saw twin pandas. That bears repeating. <laughs> I used to have a problem with grammatical tenses but not yet. <laughs> Just married makes it sound like they're already disappointed. <laughs> I went to the grocery store. The sign said, no food or drinks inside. So I went home. Thank you very much. All right, so why in the world did I show you that? Because I laughed out loud watching it by myself, number one. And it really illustrates the point. See, his psychiatrist told him, hey, Kevin, you got to go outside. Like, take one day and just go outside. 
And for those of you who aren't for like the self-help, psychology guru types, hi, I'm Chris, I'm with you, okay? So I, I was really trying to st- the struggle between, I'm more of a coach, like this is what you're doing wrong, this is what you can do to fix it, quit whining, here's a tissue, quit being a crybaby, let's go out there and be productive. That's my heart, okay? But that doesn't work for everybody. And we can't allow secular society to be better at helping people find healing than the church is. So I don't get to be that way with everybody. His psychiatrist told him, Kevin, go outside one day. Go outside. The next day, go outside for five minutes. Just do what you can. She cared. We are to contend with care. Care for others more than ourselves. He told her about this, this comedy place that had opened up down the road. She said, hey, just go watch. Just go listen to one of the comedians. Apparently, it was pretty clean. He went and listened, and she said, hey, why don't you write some jokes? They weren't really very good, <laughs> but he got better, and she actually laughed. She said, Kevin, you've got to go, like, submit your name. You've got to go stand up on that stage and share your jokes. Like, you're funny. Even just the way you present it, it's hilarious. It's amusing. It will make people laugh, and this guy discovered something that he wasn't even really that great at but he was decent at and he discovered that if he could do something for somebody else it would actually help him be delivered from what was holding him back his deliverance was found in what God had created him to do not for himself but for somebody else we should be contending with care see the secret the secret to you being ministered to, the secret to me being ministered to is to be ministered through. The secret to, can you put that up on the screen? Yeah. Um, The secret to being ministered to is to be ministered through. The secret to overcoming your depression, your disgust, your frustration, your anger is to be fulfilled Be fulfilled, by the way, not in what you want, but in what God's already said. Number three, how do we do that? We contend with grace. Now, I don't just care about people. I actually put actions to my concern. See, grace is different from mercy. We confuse the two. Mercy is just not giving someone what they deserve. Um, I'll give you a simple example. Um, actually, I don't want to throw my children under the bus. Uh, just imagine, just imagine those precious little angels that the Lord gave Megan and myself who were so much like her in every way. Actually, the two or two of them are like me. But anyways, just imagine if you can even just fathom them doing something they're not supposed to do. Okay. Uh, mercy is me not whipping the place that God called them to sit down on, okay? That is, mercy is me, me not doing what, and listen, I need a lot of mercy, okay? Because I, I really like people that can't talk back. Like, I love babies. That's great. Like, I like babies. But as they begin to grow, and then they have, like, their own opinions, and, and then they, they say things back and like, 
and I'm, it's crazy, and I, I know I'm their daddy. Like, I know I am. I know I outweigh them by 200 pounds. Like, I can feel it just arise in me. Like, the older they get, the more difficult it is for me to operate in mercy and not just, just give them what they deserve. And then, and, and then they become junior high and high school. And I'm telling you, I was in student ministry long enough. I slapped some kids. I'm telling you, I did. It was in my head. I never physically slapped a student. But in my head, I was like, whoo, whack. And I just felt so much better in my heart. But it wasn't a good heart that I had at that point. Mercy was me not slapping them, okay? Um, mercy, so we're having discussions early and often about how high our shorts are not. And or whether we get to call spandex pants that we wear out in public. Let me just help you, specifically for the men. If you have to point your toes to put your pants on, you're making bad decisions. I'm trying to set you free today, okay? I stole that from Michael Jr., thought it was funny the first time, decided to share it again. Um, so I, I'm not necessarily against leggings and or, you know, whatever you want to wear. Um, I'm just against, you know, the top part of the leggings just being so freely exposed everywhere, okay? Those things were meant for the privacy of your home, not the aisles of Walmart. I'm trying to help you today, okay? Because... If, yeah, because everybody doesn't get things off the bottom shelf like this. I'm just saying, try not to get the mental image, trying to help somebody, okay? And I told my girls and my wife, like, we all had this conversation. Y'all, I will wear shorter shorts than you. If you come in here with some spandex on and you think you're finna go out in public, just hang tight, because I can change too, sweetheart. If you don't have that top of those leggings covered up, then we're going to all put leggings on and go shopping. And y'all, I got some medium t-shirts. I ain't even got to look for them. So, so mercy, mercy, after I have said it and said it and said it, mercy would be them making a mistake and coming home with something they know they shouldn't have worn. Now, if I was just unmerciful, which I am, I don't put the fear of God in my children. God is more gracious than me. I put the fear of Chris in my children, okay? So they know, like, they believe me. But mercy would be me not doing, not doing and responding with what I had already told them. I'd already said it as a daddy. This is what's going to happen. But mercy is me withholding judgment for a moment so that I can help them to understand. But what is grace? Grace is if I took that baby and I brought her over and I began to explain how valuable she is and why I'm so concerned that what she's wearing is drawing unholy and unhealthy attention to her. I'm so concerned that I'm now going to spend an entire day with you and we're going to go shopping, and we're going to spend time together. We're going to have a daddy-daughter date. Why? Because I am so concerned with my relationship with you that I'm going to give you grace today. See, grace is more than just withholding punishment for the people that don't listen. See, sin separates us from God, and the punishment for sin, according to the wages of sin, is death or hell. 
God is merciful so he doesn't send us to hell. But he doesn't stop with mercy because he gave us grace. See, grace grants us access to our daddy. Grace gives us the right as children of God to have relationship because that's what Jesus paid for. He didn't give us what he deserved. Come on, he gave us himself. He said, I care so much for you that I'm not just gonna withhold punishment. No, 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 I'm gonna give you relationship. I'm gonna purchase you access. I'm gonna give you the right to have me. Watch how Paul said it in verse 15. 1 Thessalonians 5, see that no one pays back evil for evil, even if all you do is type it and post it on social media. If it's evil, it's evil. If it's not winning somebody, why add to the already regurgitation in the air? What is it solving? Man, Pastor Chris, you keep saying the same thing every week. I know you keep doing the same thing every week. You stop doing it, I'll stop saying it. We'll move forward (laughs) until we get it as a church that we don't just get to be kind to the people that we like, that we don't just get to be around the people, not as followers of Jesus. If you don't want to follow Jesus, then you post and say and do and put and treat people however you want to. But as a follower of Jesus, I'm pretty sure it's written in red in my Bible that he said anybody can love a friend. Anybody can love a baby that can't talk back. Can you love an enemy? Can you love somebody that hates your preference? Can you love somebody so much that you lead them to Jesus no matter how far away from him they are, even if they're confused about their own identity, which we've all been confused for a long time. See, that's why we sin. We can't be surprised that that confusion has gone from identity to gender identity because we've been accepting not knowing who we are in Christ for way too long to start throwing stones at a society that doesn't get what the church hadn't been walking in. See, when we don't contend, when we don't contend with grace, what we're really showing is that we don't understand how much Jesus paid for us. What we're really showing is that we don't understand that we deserve whatever it is that God decides to hand out just as much as the people that we're shouting about. When we don't contend, see that no one pays back evil for evil but always, always try to do good to each other and not just to people that are like you, but to all people. Why? Because the altar doesn't discriminate, baby. The altar doesn't care what color you are, what political opinion you have, who you voted for, or what you've said recently on social media. The altar only cares about making you more like Jesus, no matter what party you've come from or what candidate you supported, no matter what demographic or what side of the tracks you were raised up on. The altar sees us for who we could be despite who we've already been. And when we don't contend with grace, we forget that we could be more fallen than anybody that we're frustrated with if it weren't for the blood and the grace of God. 
we contend with grace. So I, I say this, and I'll share the final point. Give people what they need despite what they deserve. Give people what they need. Hey, social media, don't just add to the angst in the air. Somebody way more important and way more influential than you is already saying it. No offense to you and your 2,000 followers. Somebody way more important and way more influential than you is already shouting it across society. Anybody can act like they done lost their mind. But I believe that God's people are called to power, love, and a sound mind. Give people what they need. So before you say it, before you post it, before you act on it, why don't you take 10 seconds and ask the Holy Spirit, is this what they need or what I think they deserve? And that's tough because I'm frustrated too. I'm human. This is the last thing I'll give you to the next point. Would you please stop holding me to a higher accountability than you hold yourself? If I can't say it, if I can't do it, if it's not good coming from me, it's probably not good coming from you either. Last time I checked, we're both going to stand before the same God. And if Jesus shed his blood for it, you might want to stop reading it. If Jesus shed his blood for it, you might want to stop watching it. If Jesus shed his blood for it, I can't get no help from the church today. If Jesus shed his blood for it, you might want to stop listening to it, looking at it, and being around it. If Jesus has already paid for it, then he set you free from it. Stop going back like the dog to his vomit and picking up that sin over and over again. Contend with grace, covering, care. And finally, number four, contend with joy. Now, every time I say joy, I think inside out. I actually think Evelyn Ashford dressed up as joy in Inside Out. She did a great job first two years that we had a Christmas program. And then I think of joy just losing her dome whenever something went wrong. (laughs) Contend with joy. Paul said it this way in verse 16. It's pretty simple. Always, Paul says, be joyful. Hey, please remember as we land this plane today, please remember that what Paul is saying at the end of First Thessalonians chapter 5 is the answer to what the church in the last days should be doing. Because First Thessalonians 4 and 5 is like a summary of what's going to happen the closer we get to the book of Revelation. And Paul is saying, hey, if you'll take these things and implement them into your lives, then you will be able to not just run with the footmen, but contend with the horses that are on the way. When the worst shows up, you'll know what to do because you've already been practicing. Contend with joy. Always be joyful. See, the truth is, God's will for your life, if you, if you kind of tuned out, if somebody's falling asleep or breathing harder than they may supposed to, just nudge them ever so slightly. Tell them, hey, he's almost done, and we're going to get to go eat. Okay? The truth is, you're going to get to go eat. I have to stay here. The truth is, God's will for you is not fun. 
I don't know who told you that if you just come to Jesus, everything else would work out. It's not true. I am convinced that God could care less if I'm happy or not. The truth is God's will for you is gonna be full of risk. God's will for your life is gonna be full of discomfort. God's will for your life is gonna involve some suffering for the sake of the cross. God's will for your life is going to require you to lay down rights you thought you were supposed to protect. God's will for your life, it's going to involve some inconveniences and some obstacles, some trials. In this life, Jesus promised, there will be tribulation. It's going to happen. That's the truth. But this life doesn't get your joy unless you give it to them. Your office can't take your joy. Your family can't take your joy. Your children, your loved ones, your friends, this community, the state of Louisiana and Washington, D.C., they don't have access. The devil himself doesn't have access to your joy unless you give it to him. Because God can't command us to do something that there are times in our lives that we can't do. The only way that the enemy gets our joy is if we give it away. We're going to go into a series in a couple of weeks on the way to Easter. Because I'm believing God, I'm just casting this net. Throw your net on the other side. Yes, sir, Jesus, I'm casting this net. I'm believing for more salvations and more water baptism. Chris, all you care about is numbers. So what? I'm here to win people, baby. I want every fish Jesus will give me. I want to see the Holy Spirit clean them over three and a half years. We're going to cast nets and see more people saved this Easter than this pastor's ever seen saved in one Sunday. And I hope Jesus comes back at 2.30 because we're going to pack this place about seven times on Easter weekend and just believe for the greatest harvest that we've ever seen before. On the way, we're going to do a series about Nehemiah because Nehemiah is interesting. I know, like, if I'd have heard a pastor say that, I'd been like, Nehemiah, what's dude doing? Talking about Nehemiah, where is that? <laughs> Nehemiah was a cupbearer in a palace. Nehemiah was comfortable. Nehemiah was provided for. Nehemiah was protected. Nehemiah was safe. But Nehemiah, the comfortable cupbearer in the palace, he had a calling that was greater than his convenience. And he noticed that there were some of his people that weren't protected and weren't covered. So Nehemiah decided to leave the comfort of the palace and be used by God to help build a covering for the people. And I'm just believing that there are some last days kind of saints being raised up right now that would be more concerned with their calling than their convenience, more concerned with the covering for somebody else than the comfort of their current position. And so Nehemiah, we'll preach that next month. I can't do that today. Nehemiah, hey, that's my thing I was looking for. I'm gonna put that back on in next service, y'all. Squirrel. All right, so Nehemiah, <laughs> Nehemiah helped build the wall. And the people that were building the wall were coming under attack. Watch what Nehemiah says. He says, hey, Nehemiah 8, 
verse 10, he says, do not grieve. Well, that's easy for you to say, leader man, cupbearer for the king. Now watch the, how, how, how do I contend with joy? How can Nehemiah tell me not to grieve? Look at the end of the verse. It says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So I believe that Nehemiah was telling the people of God, hey, stop straining and giving your strength away. Contend with joy, the joy of the Lord. Your strength is not found in the fact that you get this wall built. Boy, that was applicable for today, huh? Your strength is not found in what your temple looks like on the outside. Your strength is not found in how protected you are from the people that you're supposed to be reaching. No, no, no. Your strength is found in the joy of the Lord. Happiness versus joy, and I'm closing with a scripture. We think that God wants us to be happy. I think Lucifer wants us to believe that God wants us to be happy. See, nobody that's in the trenches is happy. But you can be in the middle of a war and still have joy. If you're surrounded by an army in a foxhole, you're not happy. Guys, the last time I checked, heaven has an army for the last days. The last time I checked, we were referred to as the army and the soldiers of God. We are the ones who are supposed to be winning more people to the already victorious side. And sometimes that discipleship is dirty and that ministry is messy and that calling is uncomfortable and that stirring is a suffering. God didn't ask me to be. If I wanted to be happy, I'd live in North Louisiana with my stepdaddy on some land and I'd hunt more than all of y'all. <laughs> if I wanted to be just happy. But God didn't call me to happiness. Can you see, go with me back to a child pitching a fit, mad at the world, losing their mind. Do you care if that kid is happy? when they're acting like an idiot. I don't. Grandparents do, you bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> Been there. But as a parent, I am way more, hear me, I am way more concerned with my daughter being holy, with my son being holy, than I am them being happy. Because I can't control happy, but as long as they stay under my covering, then I can help them with holy. They're going to face something tomorrow that's going to make them unhappy. And if they think that their happiness is tied to their relationship with their daddy, then they're going to be discouraged and distracted. I want them to know that they can have joy no matter what they face. Happiness is external. It's dependent upon what's going on around you. But joy is internal. Happiness is dependent by chance it happens by by chance 
I mean, have you just wake up sometimes? Whoo, man, I must have slept good. Wake up sometimes. We're in a series called Can I Contend? Let's dive right in. First John chapter 4, verse 2. This is how you know if God's spirit is in something. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. Um, that is the spirit. God's spirit is in that. Okay, but verse 3 says, but every spirit, every spirit, um, notice he's not saying this is how you know whether people are in God. Or this is how you know whether God's spirit is with a person or desires to be with a person. He says every spirit Okay, that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. That spirit is of the Antichrist. It's not the Antichrist, but it's the spirit of the Antichrist. By the way, John said 2,000 years ago, which you heard was coming. So I won't go too far into this, but, but you can't be surprised. Like, you don't get to be angry. You, you don't get to be taken off guard. I can't believe we're going in this direction. No, no, no. He already said. Like, it's going to get way worse before it's redeemed completely, okay? And you shouldn't be shocked by it. You shouldn't be surprised. In fact, sometimes you might even get a little bit excited about it. Instead of being annoyed, how about having a sense of urgency for the sake of evangelism? And noticing, man, our world is going in the wrong direction. Well, what a great opportunity for the church. We are surrounded by people that no longer just accept Jesus as the cultural norm. How about we let God use us to reveal the power of God to somebody else so that they can't deny who he is without rebelling against him? Not causing more chaos or more confusion because we claim to be in Christ, but we live just like them and respond just like them. We're just as frustrated, unfulfilled, irritated, angry, and venting on social media as they are. Well, why would they wanna come be with us? They could be miserable without coming to church. <laughs> he says, that spirit is the antichrist. You heard it was coming, you can't be surprised. And now it's already in the world. If you read Revelation one through four, you see a picture of seven churches. Seven churches that represent types of churches that still exist today. But after Revelation chapter 4, you never hear about the church again. Revelation 5 and 6, you begin to see what most scholars would refer to as the great tribulation. In the middle of this seven years of tribulation, there is a great tribulation. And the first thing that happens to usher in, if you will, that great tribulation, three and a half years of the earth being baptized by fire, okay, is these horses. And we're trying to answer the question whether we can contend or not. You remember John said, it's the spirit. Anything that doesn't claim that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is the spirit of the Antichrist. And so these spirits, I believe these spirits are alive and well and operating, not just in America, but all around the world today. That first spirit, that white horse, it was a spirit of deception and a spirit of disruption. Like in an instant, 
your social norm was disrupted. In an instant, your flow of society was disrupted. In an instant, your comfort in this world and all the things that it has to offer was disrupted. In an instant, it just seems like over like in no time whatsoever, we are now deceived to believe that we can choose our gender. Now listen, I'm not angry at people that are that confused. I actually believe I'm called to win them. And I can't win people that I'm beating with the Bible. I can't win people I hate. That's not how you win people. But I am concerned and I can speak to the concern. It's just a matter of how and when I speak to the concern. We are living in a day of deception where a national education director thinks it's okay for a young boy to choose to compete against young girls just because they feel more like a woman than a man. And to me, to me, that's a hill worth dying on. But listen, if you die on every other hill along the way, then when you actually try to speak to something significant, nobody's going to listen to you because you've been running your mouth too much about things that don't matter. This spirit is alive and well. We know the truth. We have the truth. We don't have to defend the truth. We just have to present the truth. The red horse, I got to keep going. I get stuck right there. The red horse is the horse of fear and violence. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back today to how you can contend with this fear and how you can contend with this violence, this horse of bloodshed and, and civil disorder. Look, I believe that, that the last 12 months was just a glimpse of the civil disorder that will arise. Specifically, as we get closer and closer to the book of Revelation. Do you think we're in it? No, I don't. I don't personally. Do I think we're on the way? Yep. <laughs> I think we're real close. Like closer than we've ever been. Not just because of a timeline, but because of the prophecies that have already been fulfilled. And there is nothing left that heaven is waiting on except for the church to wake up and win people. Because God said, it is my will that none should perish, but all would come to repentance. And Jesus isn't coming back until the whole world has heard the gospel. So if you really want to shout something on social media, start preaching the gospel harder than you are your self-protection and preferences. And let the world know that Jesus came and he's coming back. And then we may actually make a difference in the fear and the violence that is going on. Did you know that the last 10 years has been the most fatal years in the history of humanity? There have been more murders, more deaths, more fatalities, more exceptions of the devaluing of life from the womb to the tomb than has ever been before. This spirit is alive and well. Do I think that we're facing the red horse? Not yet. But do I believe that we're facing the spirit that's coming on that horse? Absolutely. The next horse was the black horse. It was the horse of chaos in commerce. It was the horse that allows the rich to get richer and everybody else to continue to fall. It protects only the highest in society. It makes everything else that was formerly affordable, unaffordable. It takes you a, day, a day's wager just to have a piece of bread was essentially what this horse is going to bring. Hyperinflation, a breakdown in society and economics worse than anything that the world has ever seen, greater than the stock market crash of 2008, greater than the Great Depression, and certainly greater than anything that the economy suffered because of closures during COVID-19. This horse is going to bring it, and it's going to be tough. The final horse 
is the pale horse. This is actually the horse that the Antichrist will be riding on. This is the horse of disease and death. Now, i got to be careful here because we are in a time where we're seeing hundreds of thousands of people pass away and even millions of people pass away across the globe because of the complications due to just one virus, not to even mention all the other viruses and all the other things that are causing people to lose life on this earth or pass from this life into next. By the way, that's why we should have more value, value in what's coming than where we are, than we've ever had before. Because we're not promised tomorrow. By the way, we never have been. Just because you were taken today for granted doesn't mean that you're promised tomorrow. This horse is coming with disease and death. I'm not talking about hundreds and thousands of people. I'm not talking about 300 million people that died from the Spanish flu. I'm talking right now, if this horse came today, 25% of the world's population, 25%, that's two and a half billion people gone with one that's coming. Now listen, I'm not telling you this to scare you. I'm telling you this to prepare you. Because last time I checked the words of Jesus when he said, greater is he, (laughs) that is in you I have overcome death hell and the grave fear not I have overcome the world and his apostles said that we know for a fact that the one that abides in us is greater than any other thing that is around us so we should not be afraid but we should be prepared what does that look like well that looks like contending contending can I contend I feel the Lord asking the church right now, and me right now, the same question that he asked Jeremiah after Jeremiah got finished complaining. Living in a way worse society. You got to remember the society that Jeremiah was living in, they were eating one another's children. So, man, it's as bad as it's ever been. Have you read the Bible? Open up a history book and go read about what the world looked like outside of Christianity and or before Christianity. I don't even have time to go into all those details there. But can I, can I contend? God asked Jeremiah the same thing I believe he's asking us. If you have run with the footman, if, if you got people problems, temporary problems, earthly problems, if natural issues are causing you to be weary, then how in heaven are you going to run with what's on the way? How are you going to contend with the spirit if you can't even handle the person? And I believe that this is a question that the church needs to be asking right now, that we need to be asking right now. See, as much as Jesus wants to remove things from our lives, I believe that he wants to replace those things. Because anybody can just be good. Like, the military can teach you to be more obedient. They don't even need Jesus to do it. Like, you don't need Jesus to make you do something. Like, a good stick can make somebody do something. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But you do need Jesus to remove sin. You need Jesus to forgive sin. And by the way, Jesus is the only one that can do it because he's the only one that paid for it. Nobody else can forgive your sin. And we do need the Holy Spirit to replace all the things that we let him remove. So as much as, hey, this is what you shouldn't do. This is what you don't do. This is what you need to be aware of. This is what you need to be prepared for. Okay, prepared with what? Can I contend? I don't know. What can I contend with? Not just against, 
but with. And so last week, number one, and we're going to go over nine of these today. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that. I can't preach that fast. We'd be here till two. And we got next steps after third service, and I'm going, okay? And you should come too if you've never been. I'm just saying, okay? Shameless plug right there. Number one, we did this last week. I won't spend too much time on it. I believe we need to contend with covering. I believe we need to contend with covering. What does that mean? It means that you don't get to contend alone. Paul said this in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. Well, what is the Lord's work? Hey, remember, just because it doesn't look like they're not doing God's will doesn't mean that God will not use them to teach you a lesson. Well, my boss isn't living for Jesus. He ain't doing the Lord's work. No, but God puts you under him on purpose. And until you learn the lesson that you're supposed to learn, you can run to as many jobs as you want to in as many different places as you want to. The problem is you wake up you every day and you can't get away from yourself. The authority of the leaders that God allowed in your life, they work hard among you. It's hard to be a leader. It's really hard to be a leader outside of Christ. They work hard among you. Watch, honor, honor. They work hard among you, next verse, and give you spiritual, there it is, spiritual guidance. Watch him. He says, show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of your work, because of their work. Um, I, I told you this last week, but guys, look, I don't, I don't contend alone. I contend with a covering. I, I sat under, I don't have my wallet with me. It, it's locked up somewhere. It doesn't have anything in it, so don't try to go find it. But um, uh, I sat, I, in my wallet, I have my ordination card. Um, I got it right before Pastor Weston got his because I'm better than him. And so I got my ordination card, and on the back of my ordination card, it was on my certified card and, and my license card as well, but it says emerge.org or emerge.com. Emerge Ministries has been made available for every credentialed minister in the Assemblies of God. We can call a toll-free number. We can call an 800 number. This is a counseling service that we can confide in. I'd sat under just a couple of years ago, Dr. Don Leachy, who is the, the lead counselor for Emerge Counseling Ministries, and he opened up his Bible, and in the back of his Bible, where I have some blank pages, he had several pages, and on those pages, instead of being blank, it was filled, I mean full, up one side, down the other, on front and back, and then he had several pages full of former church leaders and ministers who had had moral failure and are no longer in the ministry. What did I drop? I can't leave that there. It'd be distracting to the people in the front row. Full of people who had had moral failure, financial or physical immorality, whatever. Something happened, and they 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 fell from their influence okay i heard that day that day that man said if you don't have somebody with you every sunday you're asking to have moral failure you're asking to have your family sitting on the front row while you resign from your church because you did something that you shouldn't have done because you were isolated, you exiled yourself, and you tried to do this alone without the covering and contending with accountability. 
hey, some of you put me on a platform that I don't deserve. I'm telling you, if I try to do this thing in isolation without accountability, if I try to do this thing in, in, in exile without honesty, I will fail. I will fall. I have a covering. His name is the Holy Spirit. That's my first and foremost. And I don't say that, I don't say that as a cliche. I am still literally learning to start the things that the Holy Spirit tells me to start and to stop the things that the Holy Spirit tells me to stop and to stay away from the things that the Holy Spirit tells me to stay away from. And the more that you learn to live by what he wants, the less you'll want to live by what you want. My second covering is about five foot two. And she don't look like a whole lot, but you ain't seen her German. I mean, angry. She's my greatest accountability. Listen to me. Every week, sometimes multiple times a week, she will ask me the tough questions that you should be asking one another, by the way, that I believe mothers should be asking sons, that, that guardians should be asking children. That friends should be asking friends and spouses should be asking spouses. She will ask me, have you seen anything this week that you are not supposed to see? Have you looked at anything you are not supposed to look at? And then she'll say this, do you have anything to tell me? <laughs> do you know how many times throughout the week I look away from something I might have formerly looked at? Do you know how many times a week I decide because I know I'm going to have to answer that question in accountability? I decide to follow the Spirit instead of following my flesh because I'm not contending alone. I got somebody to answer to. Hey, I need to contend with covering. Elders and board members, they look at every dime we spend once a month. I'm not spending your money on what I want. I'm spending your money on what we all determine to be God's will. You isolate yourself, the enemy picks you off one by one. And it's not everybody else's fault that you're isolating yourself. Contend with the covering. This is number two. These are the notes that you don't have. Number two, contend with care. Contend with care. We approach every issue with concern for others. That's, that's biblical Christianity, that we care more about others than we do ourselves. And that's tough in this society because they're a bunch of self-promoting, self-protecting propaganda preferences and agendas out there that I don't even dislike. I hate, but I don't hate the person. I hate the platform. And we have to separate the two. This is helpful for your marriage. This is helpful for your friendships. This is helpful for that family member that you ain't talked to in years because you don't know how to get along with anybody that's not like you or doesn't like you. Seek to understand, not to be understood. Man, if we could just fix that one principle in marriage, then we would fix the statistics of 70% of our marriages ending in divorce. Seek to understand, not to be understood. Hey, Parenting 101, you want your children to listen to you? You want your children to care about what you have to say? Then look like you care about what they have to say. 
seek to understand. I don't want to know what you did. I already know that. I want to know why. I want to know what it is about my leadership or my influence that would cause you to think that that was okay. Because if I can fix something, I want to fix it. If I can heal something, I want to heal it. I care more about you and your soul than I do my opinion and my offense. Contend with care. Guys, this is ministry. This is ministry. I'm going to tell you a story, show you a video. Um, actually, hold on, let me read the scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. That's important that I give you the word, right? Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Now listen, before you start pointing the finger at people that don't work every day as hard as you do, why don't we just assume that the Bible is not just talking about earthly things? Let's go ahead and, and warn those who are lazy spiritually. Now you got a great work ethic, but every time a preacher mentions money, you're ready to leave. <laughs> you, you, you got a great 40-hour week, but every time the pastor or the church or the administration calls you and asks you to serve somewhere else you're not already serving, you're like, well, I don't do enough for that church. I don't give enough for that church. I ain't been there enough. Why are they always calling me? What if, what if the Bible is talking about spiritual things that we're lazy in? What if... I'm supposed to warn you about how little time you spent with Jesus last week. What if I'm supposed to warn you about how little you gave in 2020? Now look, we're a giving church. We're a generous church. What if I'm supposed to warn you about how little you served in 2020? What if I'm supposed to warn you about the things that you're not working on while you look around and are really good at pointing out what everybody else needs to work on. Come on, I'm just saying, maybe, maybe Paul is talking about a different kind of work ethic. Encourage those who are timid, like those who are standoffish, those who don't feel like they have a place to belong. Our goal is to encourage them, not treat them just like the world that they're trying to get away from. Take tender care of those who are weak. I'm going to show you a video. In this video is a man named Kevin Schwartz. He's 49 years old, and Kevin Schwartz is diagnosed with a disease. Um, whether you agree or not, and, and I have my own feelings about taking medicine for feelings and stuff, but um, I, this disease is referred to as agoraphobia. Some of you may have heard of this before. This is a disease, hear me, clinical disease that is a fear of having a panic attack. It's the fear of a fear. This is how deep the enemy is willing to go right now. He's not even, he's not even constricting us with fear anymore. He's constricting us with the fear of fear. And it can get so bad that you cannot leave your home. The more you submit to this fear, the more you surrender to this fear. 
One of the pastors that I follow, I, I, have, I have no issue confessing out loud. I follow a lot of pastors. I'm actually better at listening to sermons and taking notes than I am reading a book. And they usually give you the best stuff in the sermons and all the leftovers in the book. So I'll go listen to their message and their series and, and I'll study and I'll take multiple pastors that I follow. Um, and I don't recommend just following anybody if you need a list of some of those people because there's a bunch of YouTube yahoos out there and you got to be careful Okay. But I do follow Pastor Chris Hodges. That he is actually the author of some of our freedom curriculum, which starts today. I'm just saying, you signed up. You signed up. Good for you. You signed up. Now you got to show up because anybody can take a reservation. And so anyways, go to your small groups. It's really cool that you signed up for them, but you got to go to them for them. It's like, I signed up for a small group. That's awesome. I haven't been one time this semester, but I really mean to. Well, just go ahead and prioritize that show up pastor chris hodges pastor chris hodges he's actually working on a book right now on depression and in his research he has discovered that if you want to overcome de depression one of the greatest ways to overcome depression is to do something for somebody else what a novel idea that secular society has discovered that we were actually created not to be self-serving, but to serve. It seems like I've heard that somewhere else sometime before. Maybe this illegitimate son from Nazareth at one point with these disciples said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I was just a crazy brainstorm that psychology has just discovered that is actually more beneficial for you to do something for somebody else. Watch this video really quick. Watch how Kevin Schwartz overcame his fear. Let me tell you about the first time I blacked out. And that's all I remember. I don't always cry myself to sleep. I have insomnia. <laughs> Today, I saw twin pandas. That bears repeating. <laughs> I used to have a problem with grammatical tenses but not yet. <laughs> Just married makes it sound like they're already disappointed. <laughs> I went to the grocery store. The sign said, no food or drinks inside. So I went home. Thank you very much. All right, so why in the world did I show you that? Because I laughed out loud watching it by myself, number one. And it really illustrates the point. See, his psychiatrist told him, hey, Kevin, you got to go outside. Like, take one day and just go outside. 
And for those of you who aren't for like the self-help, psychology guru types, hi, I'm Chris, I'm with you, okay? So I, I was really trying to st- the struggle between, I'm more of a coach, like this is what you're doing wrong, this is what you can do to fix it, quit whining, here's a tissue, quit being a crybaby, let's go out there and be productive. That's my heart, okay? But that doesn't work for everybody. And we can't allow secular society to be better at helping people find healing than the church is. So I don't get to be that way with everybody. His psychiatrist told him, Kevin, go outside one day. Go outside. The next day, go outside for five minutes. Just do what you can. She cared. We are to contend with care. Care for others more than ourselves. He told her about... This, this comedy place that had opened up down the road. She said, hey, just go watch, just go listen to one of the comedians. Apparently it was pretty clean. He went and listened and she said, hey, why don't you write some jokes? They weren't really very good, <laughs> but he got better and she actually laughed. She said, Kevin, you've got to go like submit your name. You've got to go stand up on that stage and share your jokes, like you're funny. Even just the way you present it, it's hilarious, it's amusing. It will make people laugh. And this guy discovered something that he wasn't even really that great at, but he was decent at. And he discovered that if he could do something for somebody else, it would actually help him be delivered from what was holding him back. His deliverance was found in what God had created him to do, not for himself, but for somebody else. We should be contending with care. See, the secret, the secret to you being ministered to, the secret to me being ministered to, is to be ministered through. The secret to, can you put that up on the screen? Yeah. Um, The secret to being ministered to is to be ministered through. The secret to overcoming your depression, your disgust, your frustration, your anger is to be fulfilled. Be fulfilled, by the way, not in what you want, but in what God's already said. Number three, how do we do that? We contend with grace. Now, I don't just care about people. I actually put actions to my concern. See, grace is different from mercy. We confuse the two. Mercy is just not giving someone what they deserve. Um, I'll give you a simple example. Um, Actually, I don't want to throw my children under the bus. just imagine, just imagine those precious little angels that the Lord gave Megan and myself who were so much like her in every way. Actually, the two or two of them are like me. But anyways, just imagine if you can even just fathom them doing something they're not supposed to do. Okay. Uh, Mercy is me not whipping the place that God called them to sit down on okay that is mercy is me me not doing what and listen I need a lot of mercy okay because I I really like people that can't talk back like I love babies that's great like I like babies but as they begin to grow and then they have like their own opinions and and then they they say things back and like 
and I'm, it's crazy, and I, I know I'm their daddy. Like, I know I am. I know I outweigh them by 200 pounds. Like, I can feel it just arise in me. Like, the older they get, the more difficult it is for me to operate in mercy and not just, just give them what they deserve. And then, and, and then they become junior high and high school. And I'm telling you, I was in student ministry long enough. I slapped some kids. I'm telling you, I did. It was in my head. I never physically slapped a student. But in my head, I was like, whoo, whack, and I just felt so much better in my heart. But it wasn't a good heart that I had at that point. Mercy was me not slapping them, okay? Um, mercy, so we're having discussions early and often about how high our shorts are not and or whether we get to call spandex pants that we wear out in public. Let me just help you, specifically for the men. If you have to point your toes to put your pants on, you're making bad decisions. I'm trying to set you free today, okay? I stole that from Michael Jr., thought it was funny the first time, decided to share it again. Um, so I, I'm not necessarily against leggings and or, you know, whatever you want to wear. Um, I'm just against, you know, the top part of the leggings just being so freely exposed everywhere, okay? Those things were meant for the privacy of your home, not the aisles of Walmart. I'm trying to help you today, okay? Because... If, yeah, because everybody doesn't get things off the bottom shelf like this. I'm just saying, try not to get the mental image, trying to help somebody, okay? And I told my girls and my wife, like, we all had this conversation. Y'all, I will wear shorter shorts than you. If you come in here with some spandex on and you think you're finna go out in public, just hang tight, because I can change too, sweetheart. If you don't have that top of those leggings covered up, then we're going to all put leggings on and go shopping. And y'all, I got some Smedium t-shirts. I ain't even got to look for them. So, so mercy, mercy, after I have said it and said it and said it, mercy would be them making a mistake and coming home with something they know they shouldn't have worn. Now, if I was just unmerciful, which I am, I don't put the fear of God in my children. God is more gracious than me. I put the fear of Chris in my children, okay? So they know, like, they believe me. But mercy would be me not doing, not doing and responding with what I had already told them. I'd already said it as a daddy. This is what's going to happen. But mercy is me withholding judgment for a moment so that I can help them to understand. But what is grace? Grace is if I took that baby and I brought her over and I began to explain how valuable she is and why I'm so concerned that what she's wearing is drawing unholy and unhealthy attention to her. I'm so concerned that I'm now going to spend an entire day with you and we're going to go shopping, and we're going to spend time together. We're going to have a daddy-daughter date. Why? Because I am so concerned with my relationship with you that I'm going to give you grace today. See, grace is more than just withholding punishment for the people that don't listen. See, sin separates us from God, and the punishment for sin, according to the wages of sin, is death or hell. 
God is merciful so he doesn't send us to hell. But he doesn't stop with mercy because he gave us grace. See, grace grants us access to our daddy. Grace gives us the right as children of God to have relationship because that's what Jesus paid for. He didn't give us what he deserved. Come on, he gave us himself. He said, I care so much for you that I'm not just gonna withhold punishment. No, 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 I'm gonna give you relationship. I'm gonna purchase you access. I'm gonna give you the right to have me. Watch how Paul said it in verse 15. 1 Thessalonians 5, see that no one pays back evil for evil, even if all you do is type it and post it on social media. If it's evil, it's evil. If it's not winning somebody, why add to the already regurgitation in the air? What is it solving? Man, Pastor Chris, you keep saying the same thing every week. I know you keep doing the same thing every week. You stop doing it, I'll stop saying it. We'll move forward (laughs) until we get it as a church that we don't just get to be kind to the people that we like, that we don't just get to be around the people, not as followers of Jesus. If you don't want to follow Jesus, then you post and say and do and put and treat people however you want to. But as a follower of Jesus, I'm pretty sure it's written in red in my Bible that he said anybody can love a friend. Anybody can love a baby that can't talk back. Can you love an enemy? Can you love somebody that hates your preference? Can you love somebody so much that you lead them to Jesus no matter how far away from him they are, even if they're confused about their own identity, which we've all been confused for a long time. See, that's why we sin. We can't be surprised that that confusion has gone from identity to gender identity because we've been accepting not knowing who we are in Christ for way too long to start throwing stones at a society that doesn't get what the church hadn't been walking in. See, when we don't contend, when we don't contend with grace, what we're really showing is that we don't understand how much Jesus paid for us. What we're really showing is that we don't understand that we deserve whatever it is that God decides to hand out just as much as the people that we're shouting about. When we don't contend, see that no one pays back evil for evil but always, always try to do good to each other and not just to people that are like you, but to all people. Why? Because the altar doesn't discriminate, baby. The altar doesn't care what color you are, what political opinion you have, who you voted for, or what you've said recently on social media. The altar only cares about making you more like Jesus, no matter what party you've come from or what candidate you supported, no matter what demographic or what side of the tracks you were raised up on. The altar sees us for who we could be despite who we've already been. And when we don't contend with grace, we forget that we could be more fallen than anybody that we're frustrated with if it weren't for the blood and the grace of God. 
we contend with grace. So I, I say this, and I'll share the final point. Give people what they need despite what they deserve. Give people what they need. Hey, social media, don't just add to the angst in the air. Somebody way more important and way more influential than you is already saying it. No offense to you and your 2,000 followers. Somebody way more important and way more influential than you is already shouting it across society. Anybody can act like they done lost their mind. But I believe that God's people are called to power, love, and a sound mind. Give people what they need. So before you say it, before you post it, before you act on it, why don't you take 10 seconds and ask the Holy Spirit, is this what they need or what I think they deserve? And that's tough because I'm frustrated too. I'm human. This is the last thing I'll give you to the next point. Would you please stop holding me to a higher accountability than you hold yourself? If I can't say it, if I can't do it, if it's not good coming from me, it's probably not good coming from you either. Last time I checked, we're both going to stand before the same God. And if Jesus shed his blood for it, you might want to stop reading it. If Jesus shed his blood for it, you might want to stop watching it. If Jesus shed his blood for it, I can't get no help from the church today. If Jesus shed his blood for it, you might want to stop listening to it, looking at it, and being around it. If Jesus has already paid for it, then he set you free from it. Stop going back like the dog to his vomit and picking up that sin over and over again. Contend with grace, covering, care. And finally, number four, contend with joy. Now, every time I say joy, I think inside out. I actually think Evelyn Ashford dressed up as joy in inside out. She did a great job first two years that we had a Christmas program. And then I think of joy just losing her dome whenever something went wrong. <laughs> Contend with joy. Paul said it this way in verse 16. It's pretty simple. Always, Paul says, be joyful. Hey, please remember as we land this plane today, please remember that what Paul is saying at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is the answer to what the church in the last days should be doing. Because 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 is like a summary of what's going to happen the closer we get to the book of Revelation. And Paul is saying, hey, if you'll take these things and implement them into your lives, then you will be able to not just run with the footmen, but contend with the horses that are on the way. When the worst shows up, you'll know what to do because you've already been practicing. Contend with joy. Always be joyful. See, the truth is, God's will for your life, if you, if you kind of tuned out, if somebody's falling asleep or breathing harder than they may supposed to, just nudge them ever so slightly to me, he's almost done and we're going to get to go eat. Okay. The truth is you're going to get to go eat. I have to stay here. The truth is God's will for you is not fun. 
I don't know who told you that if you just come to Jesus, everything else would work out. It's not true. I am convinced that God could care less if I'm happy or not. The truth is God's will for you is gonna be full of risk. God's will for your life is gonna be full of discomfort. God's will for your life is gonna involve some suffering for the sake of the cross. God's will for your life is going to require you to lay down rights you thought you were supposed to protect. God's will for your life, it's going to involve some inconveniences and some obstacles, some trials. In this life, Jesus promised, there will be tribulation. It's going to happen. That's the truth. But this life doesn't get your joy unless you give it to them. Your office can't take your joy. Your family can't take your joy. Your children, your loved ones, your friends, this community, the state of Louisiana and Washington, D.C., they don't have access. The devil himself doesn't have access to your joy unless you give it to him. Because God can't command us to do something that there are times in our lives that we can't do. The only way that the enemy gets our joy is if we give it away. We're going to go into a series in a couple of weeks on the way to Easter. Because I'm believing God, I'm just casting this net. Throw your net on the other side. Yes, sir, Jesus, I'm casting this net. I'm believing for more salvations and more water baptism. Chris, all you care about is numbers. So what? I'm here to win people, baby. I want every fish Jesus will give me. I want to see the Holy Spirit clean them over three and a half years. We're going to cast nets and see more people saved this Easter than this pastor's ever seen saved in one Sunday. And I hope Jesus comes back at 2.30 because we're going to pack this place about seven times on Easter weekend and just believe for the greatest harvest that we've ever seen before. On the way, we're going to do a series about Nehemiah because Nehemiah is interesting. I know, like, if I'd have heard a pastor say that, I'd been like, Nehemiah, what's this dude doing? Talking about Nehemiah, where is that? <laughs> Nehemiah was a cupbearer in a palace. Nehemiah was comfortable. Nehemiah was provided for. Nehemiah was protected. Nehemiah was safe. But Nehemiah, the comfortable cupbearer in the palace, he had a calling that was greater than his convenience. And he noticed that there were some of his people that weren't protected and weren't covered. So Nehemiah decided to leave the comfort of the palace and be used by God to help build a covering for the people. And I'm just believing that there are some last days kind of saints being raised up right now that would be more concerned with their calling than their convenience, more concerned with the covering for somebody else than the comfort of their current position. And so Nehemiah, we'll preach that next month. I can't do that today. Nehemiah, hey, that's my thing I was looking for. I'm gonna put that back on in next service, y'all. Squirrel. All right, so Nehemiah, <laughs> Nehemiah helped build the wall. And the people that were building the wall were coming under attack. Watch what Nehemiah says. He says, hey, Nehemiah 8, 
verse 10, he says, do not grieve. Well, that's easy for you to say, leader man, cupbearer for the king. Now watch the, how, how, how do I contend with joy? How can Nehemiah tell me not to grieve? Look at the end of the verse. It says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So I believe that Nehemiah was telling the people of God, hey, stop straining and giving your strength away. Contend with joy, the joy of the Lord. Your strength is not found in the fact that you get this wall built. Boy, that was applicable for today, huh? Your strength is not found in what your temple looks like on the outside. Your strength is not found in how protected you are from the people that you're supposed to be reaching. No, no, no. Your strength is found in the joy of the Lord. Happiness versus joy, and I'm closing with a scripture. We think that God wants us to be happy. I think Lucifer wants us to believe that God wants us to be happy. See, nobody that's in the trenches is happy. But you can be in the middle of a war and still have joy. If you're surrounded by an army in a foxhole, you're not happy. Guys, the last time I checked, heaven has an army for the last days. The last time I checked, we were referred to as the army and the soldiers of God. We are the ones who are supposed to be winning more people to the already victorious side. And sometimes that discipleship is dirty and that ministry is messy and that calling is uncomfortable and that stirring is a suffering. God didn't ask me to be. If I wanted to be happy, I'd live in North Louisiana with my stepdaddy on some land and I'd hunt more than all of y'all. <laughs> if I wanted to be just happy. But God didn't call me to happiness. Can you see, go with me back to a child pitching a fit, mad at the world, losing their mind. Do you care if that kid is happy? when they're acting like an idiot. I don't. Grandparents do, you bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> Been there. But as a parent, I am way more, hear me, I am way more concerned with my daughter being holy, with my son being holy, than I am them being happy. Because I can't control happy, but as long as they stay under my covering, then I can help them with holy. They're going to face something tomorrow that's going to make them unhappy. And if they think that their happiness is tied to their relationship with their daddy, then they're going to be discouraged and distracted. I want them to know that they can have joy no matter what they face. Happiness is external. It's dependent upon what's going on around you. But joy is internal. Happiness is dependent by chance. It happens by, by chance. 
I mean, have you just wake up sometimes? Whoo, man, I must have slept good. Wake up sometimes. <sighs> Babe, can you make coffee? No! I mean, I don't know. Just irritated. It, nothing even happened. Wake up mad at me because she dreamed something ignorant about me. I ain't even done nothing. <laughs> what? I had a dream about you. <laughs> I'm going to pray over you tonight before <laughs> we go to sleep. Happiness is by chance. You may be happy one minute, somebody sends you an indirect text message the next minute. Maybe you scrolled too long on Facebook, gave away your joy. I don't know what happened to you. Maybe you're watching the wrong news network. Maybe you're watching too much news network. Maybe you need to spend more time with Jesus in the word that's already been spoken instead of the word that's just wanting you to know what they want you to know. I don't know. Maybe just give it a shot. Happiness happens by chance. But joy, that's a choice. I get to choose joy. Last one, happiness is based on what happens. It's based on happenings. That's what happiness is based on. But watch this, joy, joy, that's based on Jesus. So you understand who you are in him, you don't care how you feel because you're not following your feelings, you're following your faith. And you're just believing and knowing that your feelings are gonna eventually catch up because happiness may be determined by what's happening around you, but come on, in his presence is fullness of joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength, and this is the day of my salvation. It is the day that he has made. I'm anointed, I'm ordained, I'm called, I'm equipped, I have a purpose, and God has a plan. Let's go get this day and put the devil back into the grave that he's already been shoved into my joy is in Jesus that is why Paul says to the church in Philippi the same thing he said to the church in Thessalonica rejoice rejoice remember he's talking to people who are being beheaded because of their faith rejoice count it a joy you're losing every right and every privilege in a society of Rome that believes that if you've never been with a member of the same gender, then they need to they need to force you in so that you can be more like humanity. They believed in that society that if you were only heterosexual in your desires, that you were missing half of your earthly experience. And so if you had only hetero desires, they would expose you to the opposite desire just to see if they could cause you to desire the fullness of humanity. These are the people that Paul's writing to. He says, hey, I know you're surrounded by darkness, but in his presence is fullness of joy. Rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Kay Warren is the bride of Rick Warren. Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. If you've never read it, I recommend it. It's not the good book, but it is a good book. And it's actually very helpful for me in a season of life where I was extremely confused and very frustrated. 
I wrote a lot of notes in that book. Rick Warren and Kay Warren pastor one of the largest churches in the nation. And Rick Warren lost his son to suicide. His son took his own life. Rick Warren and Kay Warren are devastated. Watch what Kay Warren said. The mother who had lost a son who had taken his own life. Kay Warren, this is how she defined joy. She said, joy is a determined choice to praise God in all things. And every mama in here knows that when she made that statement, she had to be thinking of the worst news that she had ever received and still determined to choose and praise God with joy. Joy. We you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, thank you for your word that it doesn't return unto you void. May we contend with covering. Come on, every follower of Jesus, do you have the covering that God has called you to? Do you have accountability in your life? I'm not saying you just go around and share all your secrets with anybody that'll listen, but I'm talking some spiritual covering from some people that care about you. A spiritual covering with somebody that will ask you the tough questions. Are you contending with care? Do you care more for other people than you do yourself? Or is that an area that we need to work on? Are you contending with grace? Are you putting action to what you say you really care about? Giving people what they need, not just what they deserve? Or baby, instead of what they deserve? And finally, hey, where's your joy? Where's your joy really coming from? Are you trying to be happy or holy and walk in the joy of the Lord that is the real strength? With every head bowed, every eye closed, the church is praying for you right now. If you're not confident of who you are in Christ, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you were at one time, but you know that your life last week did not look like what we've been praying, what we've been talking about this morning. If you need to commit or recommit your life to Jesus, the one who paid for you to be free, the one who paid for you to have purpose, the one who paid for you to accomplish God's will for your life, would you give him your life today? Would you confess him as Lord today, right where you are? If that's you, I wanna invite you to open your hands. If you're listening online, open your hands and posture yourself to receive. Church, I wanna invite you to pray loud so that anybody that needs to say this prayer will pray out loud. I know we do it every week, but this is somebody's first time or somebody's first time in a long time. And the Holy Spirit is pleading with you to begin your journey with him right now. Would you open your heart and open your mouth? Come on, church, would you say this with me? Jesus, forgive me for my sin, my failure, my disobedience, my distractions. Save me from myself, the world, and the enemy. I believe you died on the cross. You shed your blood to forgive my sin. You were raised from the dead so I could be born again, made new, just like you. You purchased my right to be with you from now and forever. May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. 
I surrender all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can you praise God?